this idea of, like, really, why do we even care what he says? Why do we listen to Simon? But a lot of times life seems to be like a giant game of Simon Says. The problem is that we're trying to follow the instructions given by an unknown. You're going, well, who are you trying to please? And you're like, I don't know, but they're all doing it. And you watch, as we, as we watch Simon Says, you watch a lot of times that as he does something, everybody's like not sure if they're supposed to stop or start. And they like slow down and kind of look at everyone around them going, what are they doing? I, I caught a couple of people that had like the pauses. They was like, jump up and down. Simon says, jump up and down. Stop. And like they, they stop and then they see everyone else jumping and they keep going. And uh, you look at it. And so often this is how people live their life, that they're, that they're just kind of, trying to get their cues from everyone around them, and this is what is controlling them. They're, they're, they're finding these different groups, and they're trying to find out what faction do they fit in? What group do they fit in? What group of people just do they seem to, to click with, and then they try to get their cues from this group of people, and they try to live to please this group of people. And this isn't a new thing. When Jesus came, his world was divided as well. Like ours, there was not proper factions listed. It wasn't like you took a test and said, all right, what faction are you going to be? But life just seemed to break up into all of these different groups. And I, and I started looking at some of the groups that he, he came out with. When he was walking, he came across the religious leaders, the normal Jews, the sinners, the tax collectors, and the Samaritans. Are all just separate factions, if you will of people that it, it talks about. But Jesus made the faction leaders really mad. Because you, you, you look at the religious leaders, the Pharisees, these people who, whose job had become to keep the law, to be perfect. They thought if they could be perfect enough, if they could get everybody to do all of the right things, that they could get things ready for the prophesied Messiah to come. And they got so obsessed with themselves and with the rules that they missed it when Jesus came. But as, as he came, he made them really mad because he didn't do things the way that they wanted. He didn't do things according to their faction. In, in Luke chapter 15, verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And they were mad because he crossed the faction borders. Because he broke out of the system. And he loved people in every walk of life. And if you, if you wanted, we could look at this and we could actually begin to make quite a case for the fact that Jesus was divergent. Because Jesus was most definitely selfless. It is, to lay down your life for another is selfless. But to be, to be brave, what, more brave, what could require more bravery than to stand up and take someone's place in death? Who could possibly claim to be wiser than Jesus? Jesus, who brought love, God who is love, peace. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get much more candor than this. And, and as I begin to look at this, I begin to watch these systems that they had, these factions, if you will, and how mad People got in Luke chapter 7, Jesus went and he began to eat with a Pharisee, with a 
religious leader. And while he's eating, this lady shows up and takes this jar of perfume and cracks it and pours it on her feet and begins to cry and begin to wash his feet with her, with her tears and with her hair. And the religious leader looks and says in Luke uh, 7.39, if um, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And he separates himself and he's like, this is my faction, that's hers. You can't talk to her. And Jesus just looks at him and tells him that he who has been forgiven much loves much. He who's been forgiven little loves little. And just basically tells this guy that he doesn't know how to love. And it kind of just blows this off. And I'm like, okay, is this, does this happen a lot? And then Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. It's just a little flashback for those that went to Sunday school. But it's forever stuck in my head. But okay, so there's this, this little guy who wants to see Jesus, and so he climbs into a tree to see Jesus. But what sets this guy apart is not the fact that he was vertically challenged. Um, God bless the vertically challenged. But what, what sets this guy apart was that he was a tax collector. Now, I have yet to talk to anybody who's thrilled to pay taxes um, or that likes the IRS just in general. But our system, compared to their system, is really nice. Because their system... A tax collector was a traitor. He was someone from your nation that when Rome came in and said, hey, we want to collect taxes, but we don't know who has what, they would send out, they would find somebody who, and they'd say, all right, you go betray your neighbors and collect their taxes. Tell us how much they should be paying. And if you want to get paid well, you can just tell them to pay more taxes than what they actually owe. You can take it from them. And this is what the tax collectors would do. So they were very hated. And so they were just, Despised. So when it sits here and says that he's a tax collector, a lot of times they'll say sinners and tax collectors. This is like worse than just being a sinner. And as he, he comes up, he just looks at him and goes, all right, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to eat at your house today. And all the religious leaders are freaking out going, you can't eat at his house. He's a tax collector. Do you know who this man is? Do you know that he's outside of your faction? You're supposed to be a religious teacher. What are you doing? And they're freaking out. And he goes and eats with this guy. And, and as he's there, this guy goes, you know what? I need what you have. And this guy begins to repent while Jesus is there. As Jesus reached out in love, it set this man free and changed his life. But the religious leaders were blown away because he broke across the factional borders. He did it again in John chapter 4. Jesus goes and he's on a journey from one place to another and they go through Samaria. Samaria is not some area. It's actually a place. It's actually a city called Samaria, filled with Samaritans. Samaritans are people who live in Samaria. But there was this great racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. And it goes back to a civil war that had happened a long, long time before. And then through um, different things where they'd say that the Samaritans, not only was there the civil split, but then they had married with other cities and different people and that their blood was mixed and that they weren't serving God right, and it just became this very, very great tension in between the two. Jesus goes to this place, and like, it was so bad that they would not talk to a Samaritan. But there was also this, this social stigma where guys looked down on girls, and they did not place much value on girls. And Jesus shows up at this well, and he's hanging out, and this girl comes out, a Samaritan girl comes out. And Jesus begins to talk to her. And it was such a stigma 
that her response to Jesus talking to her was this. This is John 4, verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She goes, you're crossing the faction borders. What do you think you're doing? That's outside of the system. That's like not allowed. You're going crazy. Like this can't happen. And Jesus doesn't care. And Jesus begins to reach out to her and begins to speak into her life. And in fact, if we go to the end of the story, in four, chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He said, I don't care about the factions. I don't care about what people think. I am not concerned with whether the religious leaders are complaining because you're a sinner. I don't care whether you're a Samaritan or a Jew. I don't care if you're a boy or a girl. I care that God loves you and he began to live different. And I began to think about factions in our world. Our worlds are filled with factions. Your schools are filled with factions. How many of you guys have a lot of identifiable cliques in your school? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, I'm homeschooled. It's just me. I'm a clique. Okay. Yeah, but hey, this is the upside. Watch this. I was homeschooled. Class reunion. Okay, it's over now. Um, <laughs> but you look at your schools, unless you're homeschooled, there are cliques. And some of you guys are homeschooled and you go to the homeschool building. You're like, there's still cliques. Okay, good for you. Um, that is really ironic because it doesn't even make sense that there's a homeschool building. You mean like your house? No, it's another building where we go while we homeschool. It's, okay, um, we're not going to go there too much. But as I begin to, to look at these, these, these breakups of groups or factions inside of schools, inside of workplaces, I was recalling going, why do we get in these? Why do we stay in these? And I discovered that we're broken and that we're insecure. I looked back and I was rewinding time. In fact, I, it was kind of scary how far back it actually went. Um, third grade, fourth grade. I don't know what grade I was in. And I thought about how many years ago that was and it was more than I care to admit. But while I was thinking about it, I remembered I was... I don't know how I fit where I fit when I, when I look back going, I really wasn't cool at all, but I hung out with the cool kids in fourth grade. How that works, I don't know. Like, you're, you're fourth grade. What makes you cool? I don't know. But I remember that there was two kids that were getting picked on, and I can actually remember where some of it was happening. It was actually Triunity was a school I went to at that time that used to meet on the far wing over by where our offices are now, and just outside those doors, we'd been roll or everyone else had been rollerblading. I didn't have rollerblades, so I was running around with everybody, hanging out, because I was with the cool people. I didn't even have rollerblades, and I was running around with them. It was so stupid. But um, going through and watching them begin to pick on these two kids, one was just awkward, and one had headgear. Like, he had braces, and then they had, like, this big old contraption that he had to wear. Um, and you felt bad for him, but what was says, I remember them picking on him. And I can, to this day, I don't remember whether I joined them 
or whether I knew that I should stand up for them and didn't. But I remember just the gut wrench of not doing the right thing and it's sitting and bothering me afterwards. And I got, and I'm looking at my, as I'm thinking about this factions going, why? Why would you sit here and mock someone that you don't even want to mock? Or why would you sit here and say nothing and let them mock somebody that you know that you should stand up for? And as I begin to rewind time and begin to go through going, what was going on? I was going, because my place in that group, I really shouldn't have had a place in that group. And I was, I was scared. I was so looking for acceptance somewhere that I was willing to close off, to try to fit in, and to push others away. And this is where factions come. But as I looked at Jesus, Jesus lived different. And you go, why or how did Jesus live free from the faction? How was Jesus divergent? Was it because he was born with cool gifts? If it was just about him being born with cool gifts, then it wouldn't necessarily be available to you. But what set Jesus free, we're actually told, what what allowed him to stand, to cross every border, and to serve in John 13, 30, I just moved, 13, 3. The disciples have been arguing over who's going to serve. And it says this about Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and began to serve. Because Jesus knew who he was. Because Jesus was full of love. He was able to reach out going, I don't need you to tell me who I am. I don't need you to, to validate me. If you don't like me, if you diss me because I went and sat at someone's table that you didn't think was cool, I don't care because I know who I am and they need someone to love them. And I begin to look at this and to go, well, this isn't even what, this is something that we're supposed to live too. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, we love because he first loved us. He goes on in, in John 13, 35, it says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And he begins to say that that what's supposed to set us free is his love. And that when we begin to recognize his love for us, it's supposed to set us free to love others. And when we begin to properly love others, then no longer do these groups begin to hold us bound. No longer do I diss somebody because they're dissing somebody. No longer do I sit back and watch somebody get torn apart, get mistreated or leave somebody because it's not my problem. Because once I begin to understand God's love and it begins to flow through me, I am set free to go forth. And and this is the point where we're supposed to live different. We're supposed to live like Jesus. We are supposed to live divergent. Let me define for you what that looks like. We are meant to live divergent, selfless enough to look at others, brave enough to step out, smart enough to live for God, not just for the moment, honest enough to know we need him and peaceful enough to show his love to a broken world. Let me say that again. We are meant to live divergent, selfless enough to look at others, 
brave enough to step out, smart enough to live for God, not just for the moment, honest enough to know we need him, and peaceful enough to show his love to a broken world. And if we can begin to live that way, it will honestly set us free. It will begin to change the world. As I was going through my notes and I was getting ready for what the, the band that's going to come up here in just a minute, I, read a, I, I, was, I, I looked up a song because they asked me about a song. And I looked it up. And underneath the song, because I looked it up on YouTube, they've got people's comments. And as I began to read one of the comments, it just it caught my eye. It was, I'll, I'll read a bit of it to you. It says, I'm in tears. Just seven days ago, I was at a park. Just one pull of the trigger close to ending my own life. But then a homeless man saw, quickly darted to me and screamed, no! I stopped and I set it down. He handed me a small Bible and we talked about it. And he read me some of his favorite verses. And he said, I should never give up on life. Never giving up on life, or giving up on life is giving up on God. I went home and woke up the next morning. I'm glad to say I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I wish I could tell that homeless man, thank you. I just want to say to him how grateful I am that he took the time to tell me. I read that and it shook me because it's just this guy. You can't say that wasn't brave. To walk up to somebody who's got a gun, who's in an emotionally unstable place, whose world is shaken enough that they're debating on killing themselves. But somebody said, I love enough that I don't care. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to let love guide me. Not what's my responsibility, not what other people think, but I'm going to let God's love for me guide the way that I live. That's what I want. I want to be free by God's love to live like he did. And that's what he calls us to do. That as we know him, that as we recognize his love, Ben, you can go ahead and come up, that that love will change how we live. Has that love changed you? Do you know that love? Go ahead, stand up. We're going to sing a song. You can come on forward. We're going to go into a song that begins to sing some about this love. We're going to go into his presence because the place that we're set free, the place that we're changed, is when we encounter him. It's his love that sets us free to live a life that's different. So as you sing, I don't want you to just sit there and chat. As you sing, I don't want you to mindlessly sing. I want you to actually begin to think about the lyrics of this song as we sing.
amazing love that was spread and given for you. For a lot of us, we just need to remember sometimes to stop and to let that love begin to change us and transform us and continue to guide us and be the reason for what we do. But I know that there are some in here who don't know that love. You may have heard a lot about it, but, but you don't know them. In Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says that he's knocking. He wants a relationship with you. And if as I share this, you talk about, you hear about this love that is willing to give up everything for you, this love that's supposed to transform the way that we live, and you need to encounter that. You need to know that Jesus. You want to live for him. I want to give you a chance to make him the Lord of your life, to make a decision to encounter that love and to let it lead you. Can everyone bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, you know what, today... I may know a lot about God, but I need to know Him. I need to receive that love. I need to open the door as He knocks. I want to begin to live for God. I want to know that I'm right with Him. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. Awesome, I see your hand. I see your hand. Who else says that's me? Nice and high, awesome. That is the greatest decision that you could ever make. He says, whoever calls his name will be saved. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask whether you raise your hand or if you've already done that before, go ahead and join us as we declare God to be Lord, as we call on him. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them a big hand.